music, wonderful worship today. I'm so glad you're here. We are studying a subject called the, uh, the organic God. It's just kind of cutting through all of the stuff that we've added to God. You know how you think about God and how other people think about God might not be the same. So we decided we would find a, a unique approach and find out what God says about God. What does he say in his word? What does God teach us about who he is? And today we're going to talk about the outrageously generous God. Outrageously generous. Do you think God is generous? This, that was not rhetorical. You can say it out loud. Do you think God is generous? Yes. Amen. He is generous, and, and yet we don't think of that sometimes. And what does outrageously generous look like? About a year ago, there was a, a, a woman who called herself a pastor, and I, I use that in quotes, if you would. Her name was Alois Bell. And she went into an Applebee's, and the server waited on her, and she was a part of a big group of about 10 people that were there, and they added 18% tip. You remember hearing this? And she marked out through the tip, and she said, I give God 10%. Why would I give you 18%? And that would have been bad enough if she'd given 10%, but she gave nothing. And she scratched out the tip. She finalized it. She sent in the, the check. And the server did not put it on Internet, but another server in Applebee's did. And there was this huge outcry. Alois Bell is no longer the pastor of the church where she was, which I, her people quit coming. The server that put it on the internet was fired from Applebee's, but has gotten 10 other job, uh, job offers, which were much better jobs than what she had at Apple's, Applebee's. But even more than that, there was a fellow that, that in Southern California who heard this, and he, he was a Christian. He decided he was going to start this movement called Tips for Jesus. Have you heard about this? And he personally has left tips from $1,000 to $7,500 on a $100 tab that he had. He left a $7,500 tip for a young woman that was a single mom. He heard her story, and he decided he was going to do that. But this has sprung up now all over the nation. People will write tips for Jesus, and they'll leave outrageous tips, 400%, 800%, 10,000% of what the bill was. Or maybe you've heard of Chad Rose. Chad Rose lives in Lowell, Michigan. On December 10th, his son called into a radio program, and his his son wanted a free Christmas tree. He didn't realize, his son didn't realize that his dad was getting the Christmas tree that night, but he called into the radio station. He was the 12th caller or whatever, and he got a free Christmas tree, a seven-foot, you know, freshly cut tree there in Michigan. And when his dad got home, his, his son said, Dad, I want our Christmas tree. And the dad said, go look in the back of the pickup. And there was a fresh-cut seven-foot Christmas tree that his dad had gone by and gotten on the way home from work. Not the way to do it, but that's what his dad did. So they had two Christmas trees, and so his dad said to his son, let me teach you a lesson here. Let's go to Craigslist, and they put it on Craigslist, free Christmas tree to needy family. Forty people responded in Lowell, Michigan. And the dad and the son, they started pouring through that, and he said to his son, I want you to pick who gets the Christmas tree. And the son looked up at his dad, and he, he said, this one is a single mom. She doesn't have any money for Christmas. She doesn't have any money for a Christmas tree or for presents. This one is a person that's just going through chemo and can't get their own tree. This is a, and he said, Dad, I can't choose. And the dad said, you're right. And he took his son to, back to the tree lot, and they bought 39 more trees, and they delivered 40 trees, one to every person who went on Craigslist and asked. When a local merchant heard about it, they went and got the names from the family, and they went and donated all of the balls and the lights and everything they needed to decorate the tree. Plus, they made sure that every child in that and all 40 of those families got a Christmas gift. 
That's outrageously generous. You see, we get kind of cynical. Our kids used to talk about they hated Hallmark holidays. You know what a Hallmark holiday is? That's a holiday that the merchants have made so that they will force you to feel guilty. You know, Valentine's Day is a Hallmark holiday. You have to, you have to talk about love. You have to send flowers. You have to, you have to you know, do all this stuff on, on February 14th, guys. That would be February 14th, just as a reminder. You have to show love. You have to show generosity. And the Lord says, no. God has a different slant. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. Literally, that word in Greek means hilarious. It's just exploding with joy. And what the Lord says is, I want to look at your heart. I don't want this to be a hallmark holiday. I want you to give because you love to give. And we need to, to explore, and, and God invites us into exploring who he is, his, his outrageous generosity, to explore and mirror what he is in mind for us and what he had in mind for us from the beginning. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at two different places. If you have a Bible today, that's great, Mark 6.32. If not, your smartphone might have an app. Uh, if not, just listen. Uh, we're going to look, first of all, have I discovered God's generosity? Have I discovered God's generosity? It's a pretty well-known story, and I picked the story because I was hoping you had heard of it before, where 5,000 men plus all their families were fed. Mark chapter 6, verse 32 says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. To set this up, Jesus has sent the disciples out. The disciples have come back. They're exhausted. They've not even had time to eat, if you look at verse 31. So they went, went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them. And ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's not hard because they took just little loops around the top of it. They saw what was happening, went over to the Golan Heights, I believe is where this happened. Look at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's true. No towns on the Golan Heights side. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, do you get this? Jesus said, give them something to eat. Or they came and said, you know, they, they need something. But look at verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, they need food. Why don't you send them out? And he says, you feed them. Look at verse the rest of that verse. They said to, to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. And by the way, these were little barley loaves. These were what we would consider a dinner roll more than a loaf of bread. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the bread, broke the loaves. Then he gave to them to the, his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. And again, this is not huge, big fish. The fish that you got from the Sea of Galilee, most of them were smaller fish, uh, one of them is now known as St. Peter's fish. They were smaller fish, and he broke them and, and gave them and divided them. Verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces 
of bread and fish. So the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. They only numbered the men. The families were there along with them. We think there was, this was probably more like 12,000 people that were fed, maybe 15,000 people. So you have all of these people that were fed. Is God a generous God? Absolutely he is. But do I recognize his generous creation? Do I recognize it? Because when, when we're looking at this, do we see what he's done? And the first part of this, under number one, if you're taking notes, do I recognize his generous creation? Jesus and his disciples were exhausted. They, they didn't have time to eat. And this, the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. I've been to the Sea of Galilee three times. I've taken the little boat trip across the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine this? A beautiful little lake with green hills all around it. We don't see anything like that around here, right? You ever been to Whiskey Town? You ever been to, to Shasta Lake? You, you see this lake. And, and the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, or Lake Tiberias as it's known today, is not the biggest lake in the world. It, is, it has some of the most violent storms that come through there, but it's not the biggest lake. But it is a beautiful lake. On a beautiful day when the sun is shining, the hills around are all green. It is one of the most, most beautiful places in the world. Did, did they miss it? Do you think that they missed it? Uh, when I was 15 years old, when I, when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor. We didn't have a lot of money. So vacation was always to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to see our, my aunt and uncle and my, see my grandmothers. And we would stay in their home. And Aunt Peggy finally got a pool. And that was the only good thing about Chattanooga. We hated going on vacation there. When I was 15 years old, my dad had a call from a church in the Bahamas and said, we want you to come and preach for a week and we will pay to fly your family from Miami over. So we got in a car in Kansas City in, a, in the family truckster, you know, the Chevy Chase vacation. Uh, eight of us in a, in a station wagon went from Kansas City to Miami, and then they flew us from Miami over to the Bahamas, and we spent a week in the Bahamas. Here's what's interesting. Every picture that we have, my brother Jim is a year older. He was 16. Every year we have of us in the Bahamas, um, every picture that we have of us in the Bahamas, Jim is reading a Sports Illustrated. We're on the beach, he's reading Sports Illustrated. We're in, we're in Nassau, he's reading Sports Illustrated. We're seeing the most beautiful sights in the world, and he's reading. We had an opportunity to go out spearfishing one day, and Jim said, I want to stay home because I haven't finished my Sports Illustrated. Do you think some of the people that day did that? You see, we see the sights and the smells and the tastes and, the, and we hear the things and, and we, we can touch. All of our senses are there, but sometimes we're, we're immune to what God is doing. He's made the comets and the sunrises. He's made the snowfall. He's made the, our, our niece sent us some adorable pictures of little tiny puppies. We have two dogs. We don't need another dog. But when I saw the pictures of the puppies this week, I wanted another puppy. He makes creatures that are furry or spiky or scaly. He makes all sizes and all shapes and all kinds. And he makes all of these beautiful things. And he made the Sea of Galilee. And he made the people. And they walked around. And he was there. And they missed it. Do you think that they knew of God's complexity, of God's creativity. Do you think that, that they understood what was happening that day? I don't think they did. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? If you want to know who God is, I'm telling you he's the most creative. He is the most outrageously generous because he's given us color when we could have lived in a, a world of black and white. He's given us music and the sound of violins and, and, and uh, of strings and of guitars and of drums. He's given us music to hear. 
He's given us the, the textures that you can feel, everything from the scaly and the rough to the, to the smooth and, and those things that, that we love to touch. He's given us all these things and we miss it. Did anyone that day recognize that the creator of the universe, the one who had provided this scene where they're sitting outside waiting for this meal, did anyone recognize that the creator of that universe was sitting there engaging them? Or did they just eat because they were hungry? We went to a pastor's house Friday night. A, a dear friend of mine, Stacey Olofsson, he's the Lutheran, one of the Lutheran pastors here in town, and I sat down and uh, he invited us over and we had a wonderful dinner. And afterwards they have a, uh, something that they do in the Lutheran church and they called all the children back after the meal was done. They'd already prayed before the meal, but at the end they have a prayer of thanksgiving. They return thanks. And I love that. I love that they're teaching their children to be thankful for all that God has given them. But here's the second thing. Do I recognize not only his generous creation, but do I recognize his generous provision? Not only everything that he created, but everything he's provided. In the, the same story is told in the Gospel of John as well as in Mark. And it says, in, in here it says eight months' wages would not be enough to feed them. In John it says eight months' wages would not give each person a bite. 5,000 men plus all of their families, so they sat in groups of 50 or 100. They're easy to count, and they're, they're spread all over. If, again, if you've seen this, on the, just off of the Sea of Galilee, there's this beautiful green hillside, and everyone was spread out in all these groups. And the Lord takes these five dinner rolls and these two little fish, and he begins to break them and put them in the basket. And, and you know the disciples had to be thinking, what is he doing? There's nowhere near enough food. And I wonder if he broke the, the first roll and, and he put a piece in, and, and as he began to break it, if it just continued from one roll or did he get, ever get to the second roll? Did he ever get to the third or fourth or fifth roll? How many times did he have to chop the fish to get enough food for 5,000 men and all of their families? And in verse 37, he says something. You give them something to eat. And what do they ask? What's it going to cost? I think that is the funniest thing that you could ever ask God. Give them something to eat. <laughs> you know, God, what's this going to cost me? What's this going to cost me? God gives us everything. He gives us all food. He gives us every breath that you take. He gives you the ability to have your heart beat one more beat. He gives you everything. Why in the world would we ask What's it going to cost? And yet we do. He gives us the ability to produce food, the ability to, to work. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way. And look at what it says. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, that means after he went to, to the cross and he died on the cross, arms stretched out, to show us how much he loved us. He died on the cross in our place to pay for everything wrong we've ever done. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Instead of saying by the right hand of the, of the Father, it says the majesty, the, the one who is majestic, the one who is above all things that we can imagine. One day, it says in Philippians, every knee will bow of things in heaven and things in the earth, and every every tongue will name the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will name 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dave Ramsey does something in Financial Peace University, and, and it, it was a great illustration, and I'm totally stealing this. And I want Vaughn to stand up. I, I asked him beforehand if he would help me with this. Come here, Vaughn. This is what Dave Ramsey says. He, he just wants to point out, I have here 10 $20 bills. Kathy, you might want to check your purse. That's where I got them. You've never seen him move that I've never seen him move that fast. 10 $20 bills, and he was running. I like it. So what if, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. How much is that? $200. What if I gave him 10, $200, oh, oh, 10 $20 bills? And what if I asked for one back? Would you do that? Would you do that? How often would you do that? Would you come back and do that every week? By the way, I'll take the rest of my grocery money back. God doesn't take the whole thing back. God gives you 10 and just asks for one-tenth back. Now, Dave Ramsey does it with $100 bills, but Dave Ramsey's a lot richer than I am. You understand what he's saying. He gave you the money in the first place. The problem is, is if we give somebody the $200 and let them keep it for a while, all of a sudden we begin to believe that it's ours. It's all his. It's always been his. He's given all of it to us. He has provided everything. So when God asks to give, often our first question is, what is this going to cost us? And that's the craziest question in the world because it's all his. And he's just loaned it to us. We are his stewards. We are his managers. We're the ones who are just holding on to it. This is Kathy's money. In fact, I'm going to do this right now because, because I know where the money needs to go back because we're going to want groceries later on. And she just loaned it to me. She just didn't know that she'd loaned it to me. And the Lord says, do you understand? I've provided for you. Do you not understand what's happening here? Margaret Feinberg, in her book that I took the title, The Organic God, says, my giving exposes who or what I believe is the source of everything that I possess. Have I discovered God's generosity? Here's the second part. Do I replicate God's generosity? If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Replicate. Now, notice I did not use the word duplicate. Duplicate means you make an exact copy. A replication means you get close. And the truth is we can never give like God gives because he's given everything. God gave his son for us. He has given us everything. We could not begin to duplicate God's generosity, but we can replicate it. We can do it in a much smaller uh, form. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing to a church that has been incredibly generous, or writing about a church that's been incredibly generous. Look at verse 1 and says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Now, now get this again. These are not rich people. It says out of their severe trial... And it says extreme poverty. I mean, these people are poor, and yet they, they begged to be able to give. Look at verse 5. 
And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Get this, every time they give, he's calling it an act of grace. You're displaying God's grace. Verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness or passion, in, no, in passion and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So how can I do that? How can I replicate? Do I replicate God's generosity? And if not, how can I do that? Number one, give yourself to God. The first thing that they did is they gave themselves to God. They, they gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to Jesus Christ. And we, we try to get that out of order sometimes. And it's stunning that this group of, of people who were so poor, who were struggling so much in, in their own situation, this trial, whatever it was, this famine that, this, that was going on, and, and, and all, all of these things in this poverty, they viewed giving as a privilege. Why would they do that? How did they get this way? It flowed naturally after they first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, almost 40 years ago, 30-something years ago, I gave my, I, I can also always say 30-something so then I don't have to remember for sure what the next anniversary is, but 30-something years ago, almost 40 years ago, I gave myself to Kathy Knight. It was Kathy Bushnell at the time, and she married me. And, and you know what? Giving to her is not a problem. Giving to my children is not a problem. Giving to my grandchildren is certainly not a problem. It, it just flows naturally because we have given ourselves to that family. We, we would give anything for them. We're to live not for us, but for God. Romans 12, 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Notice this. In the Old Testament, they had to kill an animal and bring it as a sacrifice. In the New Testament, when Jesus Christ came, once he went to the cross, there's no need for a dead sacrifice. Christ already died for us. So now we are living sacrifices. The only problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. And the Lord says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. When, when Matt was talking about where is our heart, are we really worshiping the Lord? Do we just come and go through the motions? Or are we honestly seeing who Jesus Christ is? Are we seeing who God is? Do you give yourself to God? And if you try to get the order wrong, if you try to, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be, oh, I'm going to be more generous, and when the plate comes, instead of five, I'm going to give ten. I'm going, oh, I'm just going to try. It doesn't work that way. When you love somebody, you give to them. When you have a relationship with someone, you give to them. You put someone else first, and when you put someone else first, it changes the way you live. I read an article this week, a true story, a, a woman about a week ago, was going through the grocery store, and she was, she was having kind of a hard time. Her, her little nine-year-old daughter was with her, and every time you know, she stopped, she wanted to get healthy cereal because they're on a diet, and the, and the daughter wanted the, you know, the stuff that was full of sugar, and they, they went by, and she wanted ice cream, and she wanted this, and she wanted that, and she kept asking, and her mom says, no, you know, we're on a diet. I'm trying to lose weight, and we're trying, and they finally got up to the, to the counter to pay, and guess what happened in the grocery store? I know this is going to shock you. There's candy bars. 
And guess what the nine-year-old? Mom, can I have a candy bar? I don't want a Snickers bar. I really, I love Snickers. Snickers, is, I'll only have, ask this one time. If you give me this, I'll never, ever ask you for anything else the rest of my life. Yeah. I want a recording of that. Can we have a signed contract? And her mom said, no, I told you I'm trying to lose weight. Not only that, it's not good for you. You know, you could, use, you, you could use, lose a little bit of weight. We're going to work together and we're going to be healthy. She said, mom, I, I'll die if I don't get a Snickers. And finally the mom said, it wasn't worth the hassle. And she took the Snickers and she put it there and she said, okay, add it to the thing. And she noticed that her daughter was kind of hanging back and talking to the family behind them. And there was a, a boy maybe a year younger than her daughter that was there. But she didn't really pay attention. And the checker said, would you like the candy bar? And the mom says, yes, here's your candy bar. And she watched her daughter for a minute. And she turned to go. And as she looked back at the daughter, her daughter handed the Snickers to the little boy. And her mom said, you were begging me. You were bugging me all the way through the grocery store. What happened? She said, Mom, when I asked you for the Snickers, the boy behind turned to his mom and said, Mom, can I have a Snickers? And I looked in their basket, and they only had one thing of milk and a little bit of bread and just a couple of things, and there was almost nothing in their basket. And the mom said, you know, I've lost my job. You know that your dad is not paying us right now any child support, and this is all the money I've got. I don't have any money for any candy. I don't know when we'll get candy. Maybe if we get food stamps, maybe if the unemployment comes through but right now we're just trying to survive so I gave him my candy bar give yourself first to God number two give in response to God's love as they excelled they were to excel in love says in verse seven the best rendering of the Greek of the original Greek here is literally the love which is from uh, from us which is in you. Excel in the love from us which is in you. Literally it is something you've possessed because I've given it to you or someone else has given it to you. It's not something you conjure yourself. You give in response. This this goes beyond just putting someone else first. It is loving them with a passion. It says in complete earnestness. Love changes us. I've told you before, our son is writing music in Nashville, and, and he writes country music. And I, I grew up, I was from, uh, I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, grew up in Kansas City. I'm not a country music guy. I mean, I like the Gaithers, I like some other stuff, but I don't like the really twangy stuff where they sing like this, you know, and the dog dies. And the, I just don't like that stuff all that much. But if you go in my car right now, it's tuned to a country station so I can hear if John, one of John's, our son's songs, is on the radio. Because I love him. God's love changes us in ways that are life-changing. They're essential to living life like we could never live it in any other way. In 1980, Amy Grant wrote a song called Giggle. This is, listen to the lyrics. When I see somebody crying, some person who's real mean, I want to quickly walk right by him, but I'll stop for you. Dear Lord, but must I hug him real tight now? He smells so bad I'll faint. What will my friends think if they see me kill my pride? I can't. Well, giggle. Giggle if you want to. But I know it's still true that he's always going to love me. So just laugh out if you think I'm uncool playing the part of the fool because I love him. Don't you know how I love him? Well, I do. When I'm in a sticky situation, sitting in a class at school, everyone's talking evolution, no one talks of you. My hand goes up, I don't want to be too pushy, my arm, it feels like lead. 
But there's such a joy they're missing saying God is dead. Well, giggle. Giggle if you want to. But I know it's still true that he's always going to love me. So just laugh out if you think I'm uncool playing the part of the fool. Because I love him. Don't you know how I love him? Well, I do. When you begin to love like that, then you respond to love like that. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it literally tells us to do that. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. There's one other thing. You, you give yourself to God, you give in response to God's love, but you give to experience God's joy in your life. Not only, not only this other stuff, but you give to experience the joy. You excel in the grace of giving. And to excel means to give it your all. And there are some churches today, especially some on television, that tell you that if you give, if you give a certain amount, God is, gonna, God is going to give you all this money. That's not what the Bible says. And they take some, some places like Luke chapter 6, verse uh, the third one. Lisa, if you can bring it up. Give to experience God's joy in your life. Look at the verse here. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the Lord does tell if we give, it will be given to us. But what? And if you look at other references there, it's not necessarily that if you give money, God's going to give money. If you give, he, he may give you something totally different. And the one thing that I think that we've overlooked is the joy that God gives us in giving. They missed the part in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 37 and 38, because that's the hall of faith. In the hall of faith, it says, oh, Abram did this, and Noah did this, and Moses did this, and all these other people did this, and they were these great men of faith, and God blessed them. But in verses 37 and 38, it uses other terminology. It says they were destitute, they were persecuted, they were mistreated, they were living in the desert, and in caves, and in holes in the ground. And the primary meaning, the primary return of this outrageous generosity of God is that one day we will spend eternity with him. The primary meaning of God's outrageous generosity is what he did on the cross. And it's not about what you put in your wallet. The primary thing that God wants to do is to return us to what he originally created us to be, which is outrageously generous. Have you ever heard somebody say, I think you need to give until it hurts? Have you ever heard that? Oh, I gave until it hurts. God doesn't want you to give until it hurts. God wants you to give until it feels fantastic. God wants you to give to the point that you can't imagine how wonderful it feels. That you can't imagine the joy that has been there. When we were in Nashville, when our grandson was born, when Carter was born in September, we went to a store that Ashley absolutely, oh, Papa, it's just to die for. It's got the best stuff. It's got all this really neat stuff. And we were in there, and Kathy was looking through some of these, and she saw a ring that she, she thought was kind of cool. And I noticed how her eyes kind of brightened, and then she saw the price on it. And she said, oh, we're not going to do that. You know, we're, we're on this, we're on this, uh, this uh, budget, and we're not going to do that. And while Ashley had Mimi, my wife, back showing her some other stuff, I bought the ring, kept it until Christmas, and gave it to her for Christmas. You know how much joy that gave me? 
because I knew she wanted it, and I knew that she loved it, and she wasn't going to buy it for herself, but I loved being able to try to surprise my wife with something that I think that she will love. When I was, again, 15 years old, there was a, we, we were part of a church. My father was a pastor. There was a, a man by the name of Charles Keaton. There were a bunch of teenagers at that time. He, he was a cool guy because he let us come over and watch the Kansas City Chiefs lose there right in his home. You know, this black and white television. Erica got that one. She liked it. Now, that was back when Lynn Dawson was throwing passes. Actually, the Chiefs won a few things back then, but he would let us come, and, and after the football game, we would go outside to his side yard, and we would throw the football, and, and he was a great guy. He was very athletic, and he would show us a better way to catch and to throw and to tackle and to, to block. I mean, just a great guy. I mean, he was old. He was super old. He was like 40. I mean, he was really old. And he had some teenagers our age, and Charles Keaton was just a cool guy, and one time when we were supposed to go over to his house, his wife called and said, uh, my husband is in the hospital. He won't be here. And we found out the first time I'd heard the word cancer used with his name. Found out he had leukemia. Charles Keaton spiraled downward very quickly. Back then, they didn't have a lot of the chemo treatments that they had today, and they decided to do something to try to save his life. They didn't know about the bone marrow transplants and other things, but they said, we're literally going to evacuate all of the blood. We're going to replace all the blood in his body with fresh blood, hoping that that will help him to stave off some of this leukemia. But we need people who are A, positive, to come and give blood. I was 15. I talked to some of my friends. Some of them were, they were old. They were 17. And six of us decided that we would go down and we would give blood. We didn't tell our parents, and we went down to the blood bank, and we said, hey, we're, you know, test our blood. And it turned out five of the six of us were A positive. We can give blood to him. And, and they said that they would type it and match it and make sure that it was okay, and they would give it to him, except for one thing. We weren't 18. We weren't old enough. So we all had to go back and talk to our father, our fathers. And, and my dad, when I told him, Dad, I want to give blood for Charles Keaton. He's dying of leukemia. My dad first said, well, you know, son, I don't know that you know this is going to be painful. You're not going to enjoy this. And, and are you sure you want to do this? And, and, you know, he had some concerns. My dad had never given blood at that point. I finally convinced him, and so my father let me go and give my blood for Charles Keaton. All five of those who were A positive, and the sixth one was my dad who put us in the station wagon because he's A positive, and he gave his blood too. Charles Keaton did not make it. He died about three months later. And when his wife decided who would be the pallbearers, there were six teenagers that carried the casket. And it dawned on me that there was another time that a son went to the father and said, they're dying. They're dying of sin. And I'm willing to give my blood. And Jesus went to the father and he said, I will stretch out my arms on the cross and I will die in their place and they will make it and they'll live forever if they believe in me. And the father said, go. And our outrageously generous God teaches us how to live and how to die and how to trust and how to love. If you'd love some more information about this, the, those are going to be baptized in a moment. They're giving a demonstration of what Jesus did because they're above the water and then they're below the water. They're alive 
and they're buried and they're raised again. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. And they're saying, not that they're good enough, not that they have earned it, but they trust Jesus Christ with their life enough that they want to demonstrate for you what Jesus Christ did for them. Let's bow in prayer. If you're to be baptized today, I'm going to release you. You can go right now uh, and start getting ready. For the rest of you, as you sit here, I just want you to think for a moment. Have you ever taken this gift that Jesus Christ gave, this blood that was poured out for you, this blood that the Son asked the Father if he could shed for us? If you've never done that, you can do that today. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. You can come and sit on this front row right over here, right on this side. You can come and sit, and someone will sit by you and pray with you and explain what's happening. Father, we love you. We love that you love us. And we just pray, Father, that in your goodness and your mercy that we will understand your incredible generosity to love us, to give to us. Father, the truth is we could never outgive you. And we don't get saved by giving. But because we have been saved, we give you all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this closing song again? If you have a spiritual need, come sit in this row right down here. Someone will come and sit by you and pray with you.